All right, in the next three, four weeks, we're going to be studying uh, this concept or answering this question, how to fulfill your predestined potential. How to fulfill your predestined potential. And if you recall, we've been working our way through Matthew, Mark, and Luke for the last year and a half. And we're, we've made it to Matthew 14. <laughs> we're making some progress, right? We've gotten sidetracked a couple of times in a good way, not in a bad way, off on a couple of things that I really like spiritual disciplines, things that God has, has kind of laid on my heart to, to practice and then to share with you. And so when we get into Matthew 14, oh, thank you so much, Miwa. When we get into Matthew 14, uh, we find uh, a rather famous story that even people who may not know their Bibles too well have heard about. And it's the story of the feeding of the 5,000 men, not the 5,000 people, as we'll see as we read through this story. But in this, in, and when I say story, I'm not talking about a made-up story. I'm talking about a real-life event that took place um, that's described. It's very unusual. It's described in all four Gospels. It's described in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's pretty unusual because John doesn't have a lot of the stories that you find in Matthew, Mark, Matthew, uh, Mark and Luke. But this story is actually found in all four Gospels. And um, so we've made it through uh, up to Matthew 13, looking also at the same things that uh, are, are described in Mark and Luke. And the, where I'm going to read from today, though, if, as you open your Bibles, don't go to Matthew 14. I, I'm actually going to read the story from Mark 6, verses 32 through 34. And all of this is... Uh, this is just simply an introduction to this, this question, how can I fulfill my predestined potential? You have a destiny. That appeals to the millennial generation to hear that they have a destiny. But you know what? It should appeal to every single one of us that we actually have a destiny. We have a reason why we were born. We have something to accomplish while we live. And we need to be able to look back on our lives when it's time to move on into eternity and say, I fulfilled my destiny, my destiny. I don't want to have any regrets whenever I get to that place, and I'm sure you don't either. But let's start reading through Mark 6, 32 through 44 as I introduce this, this, this thought that we'll be on in the next couple of weeks, next few weeks. So they went away by themselves on a boat to a solitary place. All right? So you got to picture that. They left where they were, the crowded towns uh, of, of Galilee where they were. They left that, and they found a solitary place. And any mother, any father, I ask you, have you ever wanted to find a solitary place before? <laughs> have you ever wanted to get all alone? I remember once... Um, being in that place, not because of my kids, but because of just stresses and pressures of life. And I found my place. It was my closet. And I closed the door. I, I curled up in a fetal position, and I cried as hard as I could. Have you ever done that before? <laughs> pressures of life start caving in, and you need to get away 
And that's where Jesus was, our Lord and Savior. He took his disciples, and he found a solitary place. Now, what we need to do is we need to find that solitary place before we come to the end of our rope. <laughs> and it's not necessarily a location. It's a place in your heart where you just get alone with God, and you get refreshed with God, and you hear from God. That's what you need. We all need that. And we don't need it once a week, once a month, once every six months. You need it every day need a place with God. So they got with themselves a solitary place. So so many who saw them leaving where they had been recognized them. Aha, there they are. They're leaving. They're sneaking away. And they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. How would you like that? You need some time alone. You need to be by yourself. You need some peace And you get to where you're going, and all you do is find the same crowd. (laughs) Must have been something else. When Jesus landed, because they they got on a boat to get away, he saw a large crowd. He saw a large crowd, and he had compassion on them, as Jesus always did, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. He just took time out. You know what? Have you ever said, I am, I'm just, I'm planning my day, I'm planning my week, and I'm not going to be interrupted. I'm going to get what I need to get done. How many productive people do we have in this? You get to the end of the day, and if you didn't get done what you planned to get done, you want to kill yourself. All right? You know what? Jesus was a man who allowed himself to be interrupted. And I know there's a balance in life. But we have to allow ourselves to be interrupted with other people's needs. The great interruption, because you know what? That's God's plan. Your plan may not be quite as important as you think it is. And we need to allow ourselves to be interrupted. So he was interrupted here as we see. (coughs) And he began teaching them many things. But by this time it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. And it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside, the villages, and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. (laughs) You give them something to eat. Has God ever asked you to do something that you physically cannot do? (laughs) Yes, does it all the time. He always asks you to do stuff that you are by yourself incapable of doing. He asks you to go beyond your resources, beyond your time, beyond your emotional capacity, beyond your money to do something for him. And that's what he's doing here. Because we'll find in this story, there were 5,000 men in this crowd, not counting kids and moms. So let's just say 20,000. Because let's say for every man there was a woman. Maybe that's a bad assumption. For every family there was two kids. Maybe there was 20,000 people here. Maybe there was 10,000. But even if it was just 5,000, that's a lot of people. The Don Haskins Center, our our basketball place here in town uh, for UTEP, uh, seats 11,800 people. All right? So let's say it was 20. This was double what could what could fit in to this venue that we have here in town. I've gone to concerts there at Don Haskins, watched basketball games. It's packed. 
11,000 people is a lot of people. It's a lot of people. And so Jesus said, you give them something to eat. (laughs) I'm telling you, start looking for God's instruction in your life, and I guarantee you what he tells you to do is well beyond what you can do. Well beyond what you can do. Well beyond your capabilities. All right? So he said to them, what would it take? Excuse me, this is, uh, I think, Oh, this is Jesus speaking. I'm sorry. He says to them, what would um, that would take uh, more than I'm I'm sorry, I'm getting a little tongue tied here. Uh, One of the disciples says that would take more than half year's wages. Are we to go out and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? (laughs) When God instructs you to go do something and it's more than you can do, the first thing out of your mind is I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough emotional capacity. I remember talking. I won't tell you who it is, and I don't think anybody knows him. Uh, but a friend of mine, he's truly a friend, he said, you know what? All I want to do is I just want to go to church, give them the money, and let them go do what they need to do. Because by the time I get done with work, I'm tapped. I'm tired. I don't have anything else to give. And what he was talking about, giving, I don't have any more emotional to give. I don't have any... My emotional cup is totally empty. So here is my money. You go do it. (laughs) All right? You know what? I hate to say it. That's not how God works. He asks us to do something beyond our own emotional capacity to be able to handle. He asks us to do things beyond what our pocketbook allows us. He certainly asks us to do things beyond our time capabilities. And for us who are really busy, I'm a really busy person. I bet you are as well. That can't be the reason why we don't do what God wants us to do. All right? He asked these disciples to do things beyond what the money was that they had to do. And so one of the disciples here says, hey, that would talk, that'd take more than half a year's wages. And by the way, in another, another gospel, it says it would take half a year's wages just to give every person just a bite. Not the whole sandwich and the salad and the chips to go along with all of this. All right? And so we always look to our limitations when we face a challenge. We look at our limitations and we behave and react accordingly given our basic visual potential. We say, this is what I visually see my potential is. This is all I can, this is all I can do. So what does Jesus ask? He says, well, how many loaves do you have? (laughs) He asks, and then he says this, and this is why I picked Mark. He says, go and see. Go and see what you have. When they found out, they said, verbally, it came out of their mouth, five loaves and two fishes. We counted them up. And in another gospel, They didn't even have the loaves and fishes. It was some little kid that had his lunch with him that had the loaves and fishes. So they could have potentially said, nothing, squat, zero. I don't have anything, all right? But they inventoried it, and I want you to know this. They said it. (laughs) They communicated their limitation. Why? Because God asked them what their limitation was. There is absolutely Nothing wrong 
with looking in the mirror and saying, I don't have any money. My health is gone. My marriage is failing. My job is on the rocks, or I don't have a job. There is nothing wrong with communicating that to yourself. In fact, God asks you to do that. If you deny your reality, there is no room for God to do anything because he says, okay, well, I guess you're okay. We need to open up and state our reality. Now, if you say, well, Steve, you're reading too much into the scripture. Well, let me read you a scripture that tells us to do this. It's found in in, uh, Romans 4. And I wish I could remember the verse. It's either 18 or 19, but it says this. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, listen to this, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. If the doctor tells you you have cancer, you have cancer. Acknowledge it. (laughs) That's the starting point of a miracle. All right? If if you don't have a job, you don't have a job. All right? That's the start of a miracle. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging your reality. We're we're encouraged to do that. And Jesus encouraged his disciples. He said, take inventory. Tell me what you got. All right? Five loaves, two fishes. Then Jesus directed them. Going back into Mark again. Jesus directed them. Let Let me pause here. If you're hurting... Look in the mirror and say, I'm hurting. If you're angry, look in the mirror and say, I'm angry. If you have a feeling of rejection in your life, look in the mirror and acknowledge it and say, I feel rejected. There's something therapeutic just about doing that and saying, you know what? This is the reality that I'm living in because then healing can begin to take place in your life. But Jesus directs them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. I don't know. It's this just colors and stuff, you know, just just yeah, I can see a picture, a beautiful hill going up, Jesus sitting up there where he can be heard, and all below instead of uh, instead of desert and rocks, there's green grass, and it leads me to Psalms 23. He makes, he takes me into green pastures. He makes me to lay down in green pastures. I it just, I, I just think of that as I'm reading this. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Now I'll tell you today, I, I guarantee we in this room we don't have more than 60 people. All right. Now, can you imagine? taking a piece of fish and a piece of loaf, and you have 60 people in here, and I'm supposed to make this little thing go to all of these people. So breaking 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 people into little groups of 50 and 100 didn't make the matter much easier, easier, all right? Because you look out across this slope, and there's more groups than you can count, and each one of them is 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 scary, 150 people, and Jesus is directing them to sit down. But I want to point this out. Jesus directed them to sit down. Jesus directed them to sit down. What is directing your life right now? What is propelling your life? What is the, the, the fuel in your life that keeps you moving, all right? I'll tell you what. For some people, it's bitterness. It just keeps them moving, all right? 
Um, I remember once speaking to someone who, who had a conflict with someone else. And this person ended up in the hospital, all right? And went to visit this person in the hospital. And that trigger happened, talking about the other person that they had a conflict with. And this person was laying in the hospital bed, sat up, and you could tell the anger, the frustration because of this, this conflict that they had with this other person. What's fueling you? You can be sick as a dog and something can trigger you and you're up and ready to take them out, all right? What's fueling you? When Jesus fuels you, everything changes. Jesus directed. I'm no longer directing. Jesus is directing. And I look at Proverbs 3.3. I just read this in my own personal devotions this week, and it, it blessed me. It says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. In other words, let love and faithfulness direct you. Let it fuel you. Let it encourage you. Let it spur you on. All right? It says, bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. What love are we talking about? That love that I told you about several weeks ago. I'm throwing myself into God's love, the ocean of God's love, and I'm never, ever going to get out of it ever again. That's going to direct me. God's love is going to direct me. His faithfulness is going to direct me. Has God ever failed me? Well, I might look at a couple of places and say, yeah, you know what? God didn't come through. He didn't answer this prayer. You know what? God is a faithful God. And I'm going to let his faithfulness drive me tomorrow morning. When I wake up tomorrow morning and I don't know what to do about my situation, I'm going to say, Jesus, direct me. Jesus, direct me. Jesus, push me in the right direction. Jesus, open the right doors. Jesus, you know my attitudes, my fears. Some people let fear drive them and direct them. But you know what? We're not going to be people who are fearful. We're people who are, um, we're not, uh, uh, going out of my mind, I'm not uh, subject to fear, but power, a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. I'm going to let Jesus direct my morning from now on, especially Monday morning. How many of you guys get the Monday morning blues, all right? I get the Monday morning blues, all right? It seems like it's not a fresh start. It's a, oh, my goodness, start, all right? Let Jesus direct you even through your Monday morning blues, all right? So Jesus taking the five loaves and two fishes. Well, look at this. I can't, I mean, I was reading this, just studying it for myself, and I just thought, oh, wow. Jesus took. <laughs> Jesus took. It's like, I don't know if it was James or John or, or whoever, Judas, holding the fish. Like, here's what we got. Jesus comes and snatches them out of the hand. He took them out of their hands, and he began to look up to heaven. Before we get to look up to heaven, you know what? When you show Jesus what you have, you know what he's going to do? He's going to snatch it right out of your hand. He said, I can make something good out of this. That's why he wants you to show him what you have or what you don't have. Because then he can take it. He says, ah, you just opened up your heart. Boom! He takes it and he's going to do something with it. He's going to do something with it. So what does Jesus do? He looks up to heaven he looks up to heaven, and that's, what, that's exactly what we need to do. Don't look at your situation. Don't look at your feet. All right? It's funny. This is, you're gonna, some of you are 
not going to even understand what I'm talking about here, but we watch YouTube stuff, and these YouTubers, they'll be videoing like what they're going and show themselves, and a lot of them will shoot down at their feet, and you see their feet walking along like this. And it's just a little snippet like that, but it hit me. We need to stop looking down at our feet. We need to look up to heaven. We need to look... How are we going to reach our full potential? We will never reach our full potential if we're looking it down. An airplane won't go up until it looks up. <laughs> All right? We've got our attitude needs to be headed straight up, looking at heaven. Let me give you a couple of scriptures here. This is quickly becoming my favorite scripture of the Bible, almost to surpass Matthew 6.33. All right? In Colossians 3.2, it says, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. It's a discipline. It's a discipline. I am going to think on heavenly, divine, godly things, and as I do that, there's going to be less and less room for worry in my heart, in my mind, because I'm thinking about heavenly things. How am I going to reach my full predestined potential? I've got to start thinking on heavenly things. I... I I challenge you to memorize the scripture, Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. But then in Genesis 15, 5, here's Abraham, who's just, I think if I got this chronology right, he's just let Lot go over and take over the nice part of the valley, the beautiful, well-watered valley. And after that, God takes him outside. He says, look up. Stop looking down at the valley you just lost and look up to me. Why? Because you can't even count the stars that are up there. But that's how much, that's how much your offspring is going to be, is, is the stars of the countless stars of the sky. I was watching a cartoon movie with my kids just yesterday, and at one point these kids are crude. So these cavemen, they come out, and they're experiencing life outside of their cave. And they finally get into this forest. And I won't tell you the whole story, but they've got this guy that they're, he can create fire for them. So they're following this guy. This guy says, hey, follow me up the trees. They get up on top of the canopy of trees at night. And the stars, the first time these cavemen finally have seen the starry sky, the constellations and the and the 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 kind of the the cloud of the milky way i'm telling you if we'd start looking up we would be so much more blessed than where we're at today to fulfill our potential we've got to start looking up but then in ephesians 1 3 it says praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Look up, and you're going to start seeing the blessings that you're missing out on. You'll be able to reach up there and say, I got that one. Reach up there and say, I got that one. Stop looking at your hurt. Start, stop looking at your anger, your bitterness, your, where, where you think God has failed you. Start looking up, and you're going to start seeing blessings flow. And how do I know this? From personal experience. I've been experimenting. See, you, you experiment with the things of God. You need to. All right? And it was so hard to look up because I was like, what if I don't see anything? Oof, it's going to be disappointing. 
What if I put my faith in, in, in seeking the Lord this way and nothing comes? I'm, I'm going to feel disappointed. But you know what? I have not been disappointed. God has been showing me things I've never knew before. His grace being one of them. Looking up, he starts revealing things to you, and then you just want more. You know, he's taste and see that the Lord is good. Blesses the man who takes refuge in it. You start seeing that. I want more. Yeah, I'll look up. I'm going to stop looking. I don't like what I see down here anyways. I'm going to start looking up. Get past yourself and look up to the Lord. Well, what does Jesus do next? Well, some versions of the Bible say um, he gave thanks. Um, but the true, the true message is here, he spoke a blessing. He spoke a blessing. And as I was thinking about this, you know, I could tell you, start speaking blessings over your life. Start speaking blessings here and blessings there. And I would say, go ahead and speak a blessing. But you know what's better news than that? God is speaking a blessing over your life right now. He's speaking blessings over you. And if you'll open your heart and believe, because that's all believing is, is just open your heart to God. We think believing means, okay, if believing means it's going to happen or it's not going to happen. No, that's not believing. Believing is opening your heart to God like a sunflower and letting the Son of God, (laughs) no pun intended, but the Son of God just shine into your heart and you start receiving from Him. Just believe. Wake up in the morning and say, God, I'm just opening my heart to you. Revelations, whatever it is, three or four, it says, I knock at the door, open the door of your heart, and I will come in. You'll receive. That's what grace is all about, is just receiving from God. Receive. I believe, God. I believe I receive from you. All right? So he spoke a blessing. God is speaking a blessing to you and over you. Do you receive his blessing? Because he can speak it. If your heart's closed, it just bounces right off of you, and you never receive it. Open your heart to the Lord. Blessing is is what causes you to prosper. Blessing is the Midas touch where God touches you and all of a sudden stuff just starts working. Stuff that was broken, all of a sudden it starts working again. That's the blessing of God. If you receive the blessing of God, you will have some level of a Midas touch in your life, in your family's life, and those around you. Find it interesting that Jesus didn't look at the five loaves and, and two fishes and despise it say, that's nothing. No, he took it and he blessed it. He spoke a blessing over it. Don't despise the little things you have in your life. Don't despise them. Say, God, here it is. He will take it and he will bless it. Praise God. So Jesus is speaking a blessing over you. Now, let me ask you a question. Does Jesus wait for you to do something spectacularly good and obedient to him before he blesses you? (laughs) Well, I'm not going to read it, but in Luke 5, we find that Peter hadn't done squat for Jesus, all right? But Jesus says, throw your net over for a catch. Go out into deeper waters, throw your net out for a catch. Jesus allows this massive amount of fish to come into the boat. They threw their nets, pull it. Peter hadn't done anything good. He hadn't done anything bad. And as soon as he pulls in that load, what does Peter do? Then he repents. He falls at Jesus' feet says, I'm a, I'm a terrible man. <laughs> the blessing came before repentance. The blessing came before he did anything 
good or bad. That's how our God works. That's how our God works. So I ch- that's part of our reading this week is in Luke 5. He broke the loaves. Jesus broke the loaves. And, and that's, that's taking action. <laughs> when God says, go do it, and he blesses you, and you're listening to him, go take action. Go do it. Go see what doors are open. I always like that story of Jonathan. Jonathan's with his armor bearer. He's one of the few in Israel that has a sword. And he says, you know what? Let's go show ourselves to these Philistines. If they say, come on up, we know God's given us into their hand. He took action. God didn't tell him to do that. He just went out on a limb and did what hope expressed for him to do. We need to take action. I think of this woman in um, First or Second Kings whose husband died. And the creditors came. And she was going to have to give her two sons. Can you imagine giving your sons to the banker because you can't pay the mortgage? I mean, this is terrible. She was going to have to give her sons in slavery over to them. So she cries out, I believe it was Elisha. And Elisha says, what do you have? (laughs) What do you have? You got something. And in the master's hands, it it can grow exponentially. And she said, I don't have anything. And then she says, oh, I do have some oil. <laughs> Don't forgive what, forget what God has given you. Open up your hand to the master and let him take it because you'll bless him. So he said, get every canister or jar that you can from all your neighbors and start pouring. And she poured and poured and poured and poured until there's no jars left. You know what? She sold that oil to pay off the debt. And the Bible says she lived off of the rest. Praise the Lord. I'm telling you, man, faith level needs to be rising in our hearts right now because this is how God operates. How do you, how do you get to your full predestined potential? I'm telling you, read these scriptures. This is how you get there. All right? He took action. He broke the bread. Then he gave it to his disciples. They distributed it to people. Also divided the two fish among them. They ate. And listen to this. These Thousands of people, however many thousands it was, well above five, ate and were satisfied. Ate and were satisfied. When you begin to reach your predestined potential, thousands of people will be satisfied through your ministry. Thousands of people, strangers, people you've never met before and may never meet again, will be blessed, honesty. They'll be blessed through you. Amen? Amen. This is how you reach your predestined potential as you open up, you give God what you have. Let him take it and look up to heaven and expect God to come come through divinely, supernaturally. The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who who ate that day were were 5,000. And in another story account, I think in Matthew or Luke, it said, besides men, or excuse me, women and children, all right? They started off with nothing. <laughs> then they got five loaves and two fishes. Then they got 12 basketfuls left over. <laughs> Amen. You're going to reach your full potential. You're going to have plenty left over for you. For you. Amen. All right. Your divine potential will not only take care of the needs of others, but will meet your needs and your desires as well. So I want, you to, I want you to ponder this statement that I'm just about to make as we finish up. 
It's also written on your sheet at the very top in red, so you can read along with me, but it says your potential is not based on how much you have. It's based on God's capacity to give and your capacity to receive. Stop looking at what you don't have and say, whoa, all I know, I've got a God that gives, has everything in the world. I've just got to open up my heart and start receiving. And your potential is going to grow and grow and grow and grow. God never expected you to limit your potential based on what you have and what you don't have. In Isaiah 54, it says, O barren woman, sing, barren woman, you have never born a child. Burst into song. Shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than her who has a husband, says the Lord. Listen to this. Enlarge the place of your tent. Enlarge it. All right? Stretch your tent curtains wide open. Don't hold back. Lengthen the cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. Amen. That's for you guys. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Tim. I'm telling you, stretch open wide and say, God, I'm ready to receive. Believing is opening your heart to God and saying, I receive. Give it, God. Give it, give it, give it. I'll take it. Don't name what you're looking for. Just receive what he gives you. Just receive what he gives you. Stop being, some preachers would disagree with it. Stop being so specific with God and say, God, just give. And I'll receive whatever you give. Because whatever God gives you, you will like. I guarantee you love it so much. Don't be afraid. So how can I expand my capacity? How can I expand my capacity? Well, Stop looking at what you don't have. <laughs> the first step is stop, you know, go ahead, write it down. I got five fish and two loaves, or five loaves and two fishes. Write it down. All right, we got that settled. I'm going to put that to the side. I know what I have. I know what I don't have. All right, stop looking at it. <laughs> and stop limiting yourself based on your limitations. Don't do it. Then focus on heaven and what heaven has to offer. Read your Bible. Why do we read your Bibles? Not for legalistic, not to make you feel good, just to receive. When you read the Word of God, you begin to receive from Him. We don't come to church just because we have to. We come to church to receive. All right? We don't pray to look good and feel good about ourselves. We pray to receive. These are avenues of receiving from God. All right? So we focus on what heaven has to offer. Read the Bible and see all that heaven has to offer. And then here's the one that God's dealing with me about. Rest and trust. Rest and trust. Cease striving and know that I am God. Rest. Rest in God. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. Acknowledge Him all your ways, and he will blaze a path for you. He will blaze a path for you. So why do we get so hopeless, negative, depressed, oppressed? Because we're constantly measuring our potential based on what we have. It's what we're doing all the time. We focus too much on the inventory of things and not enough on the inventory of heaven. 
<laughs> the inventory of heaven is endless. And if we connect to that source, it'll start flowing our way. Guaranteed, it'll start flowing that way. So, Lord Jesus, I pray for all of us. God, we want to prepare our hearts to receive. That's it. Like a sunflower, Lord, that opens its, its petals, Lord, and faces the sun to receive nourishing sunlight from the sun. Lord, and those sunflowers get so big, so strong. They're taller than, than human beings. They're, they're big, big flowers, Lord Jesus. God, that's how we can be as well this week. Lord, as we go out, Lord, and, and we begin to direct our attention to heavenly resources instead of looking at what we don't have or the little that we do have. Lord Jesus, we direct our attention to you, Lord God.